right, so welcome back to another episode of Fast Casual Nation, the podcast. And of course, we talk with the leaders and innovators in the fast casual restaurant segment. If you haven't had a chance to listen to this show, this is going to be a great one because today we're actually gonna be talking with an expert that has been in the fast casual space that though he's kind of a young guy still, but he's been in the space for quite some time. And uh, I've got with me Matt Bodner from Fresh Hospitality. Great to have you on the show, Matt. Well, Paul, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to to dig in and to talk about what we're doing in the fast casual space. Yeah. So I got a chance to sit down with you in Nashville at a couple of your spots that you had there uh, a few years back, and it was a great uh, conversation. I'm really excited to, to hear kind of what you guys are doing at, uh, at Fresh lately. Now, I noticed, though, that there's like a whole new roster of things that are on your resume here. You've got fresh technology, which I don't think you, did you have that available back uh, last time we talked? We did, we did. It wasn't quite as well known and we hadn't really put as much kind of marketing uh, force behind it, but it was it was certainly around. It's been around for uh, for almost 10 years now. In some All right, form and, yeah, and of course, Fresh Capital, which has been uh, the core operating infrastructure there at, at uh, Fresh Hospitality in terms of brand acquisition. Also, you've got a great podcast, The Science of Success. Tell me about that. What's going on over there? Yeah, the show, The Science of Success, uh, as you know, as being a podcaster and a media guy, um, I had to scratch that itch in some way. And um, I've always been super passionate about personal development, success, trying to really figure out what it takes to get to the top. And so I ended up creating a podcast about that uh, about four years ago now. And it's been a ton of fun. We've interviewed some really cool, exciting people. It's all about uh, the intersection between psychology and personal development with a focus on trying to interview people like neuroscientists and doctors and PhDs and figure out what does the science actually say about being healthier and more productive and happier and how can we use that and apply it in our own lives. Yeah, interesting. I love, uh, I love that topic because that's something that, you know, when I've looked back on my career in trying to figure out the winners and losers in the fast casual space, it's always kind of boiling down to one or two things. Because uh, sometimes there's always great brands, but sometimes it's usually a founder or something within that individual founder's persona that makes that brand just fly off the charts. I mean, you can look back at someone like Steve Ells with Chipotle, uh, you know, his his awareness view all the way back to, you know, Charles Schwartz, of course, uh, at Starbucks. Uh, I see those kinds of personalities, I think, that really make a difference. So it'd be interesting to see more and more. I got to listen to your podcast, that's for sure. Check it out. I'll send you a all couple right. of my favorites. Okay, perfect. All right, so we're going to get into it today. Uh, and the topic, of course, is knowing when and how to select a fast casual winner. Now, you've been doing this for some time, working with small emerging brands and then providing investment capital to kind of help them get to the next level. And I want to kind of move into first the element of how did you get into restaurant investing? How did Fresh Hospitality come about? Yeah, so my background, I worked on Wall Street for a few years out of college. Um, started laying the foundation to to really get into something in the investment world. And then after doing that for a couple of years up in New York, I had an opportunity to come back to Nashville, which is where I'm from, and and get involved in Fresh Hospitality, which at the time was really just getting off the ground as an investment portfolio and investment vehicle that was founded by a couple of veteran restaurant operators that were looking to deploy capital into specifically the fast casual vertical. And so... Mm -hmm. 
they saw some some big opportunity and started to realize that fast casual and this was back in 2009 2010 started to understand that fast casual was really going to be one of the most dynamic and market leading segments in the restaurant industry and saw a big opportunity to capitalize on that and yeah. We started out relatively small, but today we've grown the portfolio to where we have about 18 different brands. We have about 225 units represented across the various different concepts in the portfolio. And we've also really developed, which you touched on a minute ago, uh, a really powerful, in addition to the capital that we provide to the companies that we invest in, we've developed a really powerful uh, infrastructure that we plug these businesses into. And so not only do we give them capital, but we plug them into technology, real estate, accounting, finance, all of these different functions. And so when we invest in a brand, we let them leverage all the infrastructure that we've developed to help them be able to scale and to take away a lot of the headaches and challenges that stop brands from being able to grow really effectively. Yeah. that's Well, that's a, a great move, I think, because a lot of founders are usually very centered on, you know, development of the brand concept itself. And in many cases, founders aren't great at every aspect of their business. Maybe they're a great marketer or maybe they're a technologist. If you look at someone like an Anthony Pigliacampo over at uh, Mod Market, he, he was a tech guy, uh, but also kind of a marketer. And I think he would tell you the same thing is that if you have an infrastructure system in place, to help kind of those help those brands move it definitely uh, makes a big difference and jump into the next level do you find that this is a very big differentiator in terms of hey doing the final deal in the fact that you guys bring so much to the table yeah i think it definitely is and and, and we've scoured the com the country trying to find other companies that have a similar business model to fresh and, the, and there may be a few out there but it's been pretty uh, few and far between trying to find anybody that really approaches the industry the way that we do and has right. the same kind of perspective. The funny thing is it, it is a competitive differentiator, but in terms of closing deals or closing transactions, at this point, we pretty much have the opposite problem, which is we have too many deals, too many opportunities coming our way. And we've had to get more and more selective about which ones we really have the bandwidth and the right. uh, you know the focus to be able to execute on and, and help scale. Yeah. Well, talking on that point, a great segue, and that is uh, you know, we've been tracking the space since the mid 90s. Uh, literally, I've been building a dossier of brands that kind of identify as fast casual in the early stages. And some of those have moved on into what I call limited service or, or QSR. Um, but now in the US, currently, we, we have over 800, I would say 800 uh, fast casual concepts. And these can be one or two unit uh, concepts all the way up to you know, someone that's like a Chipotle. Why do you think we've seen this massive influx of choice in the fast casual category just in the past five years? I think there's a couple reasons. One, it's obviously the fastest growing segment in the restaurant industry. And so that's attracted competition. People who want to get into restaurants naturally gravitate to, well, where's the opportunity and what what's the best place that I can plug in? Sure. On top of that, it has a really simplified business model versus yeah. a lot of the restaurant industry. Now, QSR, you could argue, is maybe an even simpler business model. But the combination of being a simplified business model, having really good economics from a unit level standpoint in terms of profitability, margins, and being positioned in that sweet spot of being able to appeal to guests and, and consumer preferences and also have a really compelling economic business model it's just a sweet spot. And so I think the combination of those, those factors of the actual business model and also the economic 
wave that people are riding of, of more and more fast casual consumption are, are some of the big factors that are driving people into the industry. Yeah, for sure. Have you noticed in, uh, in some of the deals and the, and the concepts that are coming to you a shift in the tide of the founder uh, themselves? So uh, at least maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm seeing this uh, and, and maybe someone else isn't, but it, it seems like there's founders that are coming from other walks of life entirely, not necessarily the restaurant business in a lot of these early stage fast casuals. Are you finding that as well? Yeah, I was actually going to say that exact thing. I've seen more and more and more founders from completely outside the industry, whereas maybe five, 10 years ago was mostly or, or skewed towards veteran restaurateurs. Now it's people from all kinds of different industries from all over the place starting to yep. get into restaurants and specifically really starting to get into fast casual. Yeah. All right. So let's look into some of the segments. Uh, healthy has been a mover and shaker for about the last three years. Plant-based has kind of uh, put a, a, a fire under it as well that's increased a, a lot of awareness, both from a consumer aspect, but now we're starting to see brands blossom out of this. Uh, and it's much like if you look back maybe 10, 10 years ago, we saw a lot of Fresh Max and Bakery Cafe um, kind of pretty much dominating, but now we're seeing a lot of these new age health concepts, health originating concepts uh, into the space. What are your thoughts on these? Do you feel like this is a fad or do you think these are going to be some concepts that really can hold their own in the fast casual landscape? I think that healthy concepts generally have a lot of macro tailwinds pushing them and helping them and supporting them. I think right. that if you look at the fringes of the healthy space and the healthy segment, especially stuff that's plant-based, you can get a little bit far out there from a consumer preference standpoint and there may not be as much economic opportunity to build a massive, really scalable company targeting such a niche of consumer preferences. Now that is changing and may change more over time, but I, I would say in a broader perspective, healthy concepts and things that skew into that health bucket, that's one of the cornerstones of our investment thesis. And, and we we have a what we call a barbell approach where we look to invest in things that are either really healthy or things that are really indulgent because we see okay. consumer preferences bifurcating across those two those two axes and we don't see a lot of things that are just kind of in the middle really right. thriving and being adopted and loved by consumers and so i absolutely think that 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 segment will continue to have legs and and be really healthy but the more in my opinion the more broadly appealing concepts that are still really healthy are going to do a lot better than the concepts that get way too niche and focus in on things that, while there are dedicated and passionate consumers for, don't represent a large enough segment of the, the broader market demographics. And so there there's just not going to be enough ability to build units and penetrate and scale yeah. something like that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on plant-based? I mean, we're, we're seeing data from consumers coming back as low as in, in terms of true vegans around 6% of the population. Uh, we're seeing upwards of around 25 to 30% of the population that are willing to try plant-based products. Is that enough critical mass to really move plant-based menu items or concepts forward to the next level? I think there's, it's, there's two ways that I look at it. One is if you have a healthy concept, you should absolutely cater to and have some plant-based pieces of the menu offering or of the product offering generally. And that to me is really the way that I see it making the biggest splash. I think concepts that are completely plant-based that skew almost entirely in that direction 
struggle more just in the sense that, again, there's not a huge amount of consumers in the bigger picture that really adopted that lifestyle holistically. Now, I've seen a lot of concepts that have that have gone in and and I've even seen concepts go all the way to just being raw food. So nothing Mm -hmm. cooked, everything plant based and in the right market, in the right niche with the right marketing, et cetera, I think you can have one, two, maybe three or four even across a broader geography if you really target them correctly, if you're in the absolute right place. But is that going to grow and scale into something the size of a, of a Chipotle or a similar concept? I think it's very challenging just because there's not enough of the, of the consumer uh, base that's interested in, in that type of cuisine. Now, again, I think that it, any health-based concept is going to likely have things like that on their menu, and they should, and that is that alone is is reason enough to that some of those plant-based only concepts will potentially struggle right because if, right. if we're looking if you're plant-based and I'm not and I say well let's go here where you can eat plant-based and I can eat a nice healthy salad or a piece of fish or whatever versus the place where I don't want to eat plant-based and and I would be forced to yeah yeah it's the veto factor those are always you know it's a challenge you see in the casual dining uh, area that that's something that that's why those casual dining menus exploded you know, yep. in the mid '90s, and and became literally a little bit of everything. Uh, even with companies like Red Robin, who are you know typically a burger place, and now you go in there, and the array of options that you've got as a menu item is is crazy. So, I could see that being a factor. And then when you look at limiting, you know, the consumer pool in terms of traffic, just pure vegan or you know, 100% or most predominantly plant-based eaters. I could definitely see that being a factor. All right, we're going to run uh, kind of into a little um, little Shark Tank idea here, and that is I'm going to mention uh, some eight of the of of some of the fast-moving brands in fast casual, and I want you to give me your thoughts on why they're a winner and maybe what they could be doing better. So uh, there's eight different concepts here. Why are they the winner? Uh, and all of them are winners, but wh- why do you think they are? Uh, and then your idea of what could they be doing a little bit better uh, than they are today. So let's number one is Sweet Green, hot restaurant, moved from D.C. to L.A., growing like crazy. What, do you, what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, so Sweet Green, obviously one of the market leaders in in fast casual, at least from a brand positioning standpoint and and evaluation standpoint, if nothing else. We've yep. studied them really deeply and and tried to figure out what are they actually doing to differentiate themselves. Is it really enough to justify the valuations that they're seeing? And it's something that both at the fresh level and at the executive team level of some of our core and and biggest portfolio companies, we've really spent a lot of time thinking about. I think they've done an incredible job from a brand positioning standpoint. I think that on the, the one caveat or the one thing that I would say that is just puzzles me a little bit about them more than anything is it feels like there's some almost WeWork esque something going on. I don't, I I think it's an incredible concept, but there's just something about it that it's so divorced from reality from a valuation standpoint. I don't Uh know, looking really in in detail, I don't know what the special sauce is that justifies that other than some, something like that. So that would be the one criticism or, or thing that I would say that gives me a little bit of pause about the concept, but generally I think we're huge admirers of of what they've done and we've studied them quite deeply and, and continue to study what they're doing. Yeah, I, I continue to be baffled at Sweetgreen. They're the one concept that still to this day 
uh, I can't put a bullseye on and say, this is where I think they're going to be going. I mean, you, you can compare that. I don't necessarily want to say, I mean, because obviously WeWork has had a massive failure here recently with their devaluation in their IPO offering. But the issue of having an X factor like Sweetgreen, I, I just feel like they must be on to something else. There must be something else that's going to drop in terms of a domino. The reason they yep. moved from DC to LA, do you think they could be trying to position to become a lifestyle brand where they start offering other things other than food? I think they are. And they've, they've even said, I think that they call themselves a technology company. Tech company or yep. I might be paraphrasing that, but the if you really look at their core business operations, at least from what I can see, and it's, a, it's obviously a private company, so we can't dig too deep into what they're really doing and spending their time and money on, it, it feels like WeWork in the sense that if you look at the, the major publicly traded Regis office companies and you look at right. WeWork, there's, there's, a, there's a mismatch between what they're doing and what the, what the financials really support and what a right. company that's bigger and more successful and has more cash flow, et cetera, is, is worth. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with, with Sweetgreen as well. Yeah. Interesting concept. I, you know, I wish them the best. I think they're onto something, but I'm not just not sure how that brand can get up to a billion dollars in uh, in valuation, which is, you know, recently was uh, kind of cited as the one of the first fast, well, the first fast casual brand to hit that number. And Big and that's stuff. with what a hundred units. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of units, and and growing like this. I mean, the valuation numbers alone, I, I just can't quite get it. Maybe they are positioning for IPO. Maybe there's another game that they're playing that is in a master plan uh, that could be going down the road. Number two, and that is a little brand called Homegrown. Do you know this concept? So I actually wasn't familiar with Homegrown prior to you sending it over and the list of questions. I checked it out a little bit, but I, I don't have a strong opinion either way just because they're all the way out on the West Coast and, yep. and I'm, I'm based here in Nashville in the Southeast. And so I haven't interacted with the brand. It looks really interesting and I'd love to check it out, but I don't have a strong, strong feelings about it either way. Yeah, I love them. Uh, they are one of my movers and shakers for 2020. I think this brand, a Seattle-based, uh, very fresh forward in uh, their concept. And the key there is they've got some great leadership in how they're trying to position the brand. And I think most likely uh, this brand will stay very regional focused, which I think is an interesting approach for fast casual, because we've seen that success work for even companies like Sweetgreen, where really for the most part of their life, they were really centered uh, right there around DC, which is their founding city and where they started. Let's move on to Mod Pizza, obviously the fastest growing fast casual pizza co concept out there. Uh, they are doing awesome. What are your thoughts on them? I think it's a great concept. Uh, the branding is on point, the the food is on point. The one question I have is, is less about them and more about Fast casual pizza as a segment has always mm -hmm. puzzled me a little bit just in the sense that it's it's weird because I – and this may just be a personal bias of mine. But I view pizza more as a dinner cuisine and so – Not lunch. And I view fast casual skewing more towards a lunch demographic right. typically. And so there's a little bit of a mismatch there. Obviously, they figured it out. But that's always been a question mark in my head about – is fast casual pizza a really scalable, sustainable model? I mean, there's some people that have done really well with it, but I, I've always had that question mark in the back of my head in terms of the mismatch between the service style and how consumers think about specifically pizza as a cuisine. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're, you're right there because there is some issues that have occurred. You know, fast casual pizza kind of uh, hit, crashed the market with a ton of concepts out there, whether it was Uncle Matteo's, you look at Ann Pizza, yep. et cetera. 
uh, Blaze, Pizza Rev. I mean, we just go on and on. Um, and those were really just in the last decade. Those those all pizza of those pizza companies were developed. Uh, they hit the market really strong, fast. Got a lot of early uh, venture money or early startup money, and then they started to peel back in terms of operations or closing stores. And now it's kind of shook out to where there's really only a couple. And and of course, Mod Pizza seems to have won the case in terms of growth, especially now they're over 400 units. Um, it, it's a very interesting thing to see how they're growing. And I, I just will be, I think if there is gonna be a fast casual pizza winner, it's probably gonna be Mod Market and there'll be a handful of others that kind of come behind, kind of like what Chipotle did with uh, Fresh Max. And I think that the, 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 the product quality, the brand positioning, that's, that's what's enabled them to differentiate. And so yeah. it, it's, again, it's nothing about the concept per se. It's more that subset of the market, as, as you said, is something that I have some reservations about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on to another player and completely away from pizza and the, the typical norms. We didn't see a lot of movers in this category for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, a few of them hit the ground running, and one is Mission Barbecue. Your thoughts on them? I think it's a great concept, and uh, we have a lot of investments in the barbecue space, so we're big big fans of barbecue. The The question with the barbecue model has always been, is as you, as you touched on a second ago, is it something that can expand beyond a particular region right. and really go national? Even with our own barbecue investments, we, we think about that question uh, in, a, in a lot of depth, and so, I think Missions is a great brand and uh, in some ways a competitor of ours, but also a brand that we've looked at and we've, we've watched what they're doing. And uh, it, it's the barbecue segment is one that is very unique and, and, and we, uh, we think about probably the same challenges that Mission thinks about on, our, on a regular basis. Yeah. I would say the only thing that I would knock Mission on right now is price point. They are, they're yep. a little bit yeah. pricey. Um, if you look someone like Dickie's out of Dallas, I mean, they've got a really good product, but they kind of dumb down their stores. It's uh, it's a very good value offering, fast casual, kind of uh, no-nonsense uh, barbecue, which in essence is kind of has an allure anyway to barbecue lovers. Um, but pricing, um, I think for fast casual, you can only push that envelope so far unless you're really adding just an insane experience or just super high quality or volume of food. And I think that's where they're going to have some trouble is is getting past that price point. I agree with that, and and the the frontier of fast casual or the more the more casual dining skew or the the higher food quality you get, that's a really interesting part of the fast casual segment where yep. people are experimenting with these models that are bringing in higher price point, higher quality ingredients, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings us great segue again to our next one, which is Kava, which had done that. They were pretty much a fine dining restaurant concept that birthed the fast casual concept there in DC. You got Brett Schulman up there running that concept now with the, the three original founders. And they took something, what I think was, I, I didn't see them coming. I saw them when they were under, under five units, we got a chance to visit them. And I kind of said, hey, there, there's something here I can't quite put my finger on it yet, but there's something here. And then all of a sudden, bam, they just explode. What was the cause of that? What do you think is uh, the juice over there at Kava? So that's also a, com a big competitor of, of one of our largest portfolio companies, Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe. Mm -hmm. And so we've looked extensively at Kava. I think that the, the Mediterranean segment 
as a whole fits squarely in what we were talking about earlier, this idea right. that healthy, healthy food that isn't necessarily on the extreme, that isn't necessarily plant-based or, or a little bit out there, but it's healthy food that everyday Americans can really get behind and it's flavorful, yes. it's delicious. You can eat there repeatedly multiple times a week and, and eat healthy, eat, and, but, but also be filled and satisfied. And so yeah. to me, the Mediterranean segment is one that we're heavily invested in. And I think it's, it's an absolute slam dunk. And, and that, that has been a huge tailwind behind what they've done in terms of some setbacks or challenges or things that, that I'm very curious to see what will shake out with Kava. The acquisition of Zoe's is something that I think will, I'm curious to see how it will play out. It seems like a bit of a mismatch from a, from a brand standpoint. And I'm, I don't know if that's actually going to go very well for them. Uh, They're both competitors of ours. So I have a a little bit of a biased opinion, but (laughs) I think that that, I don't know that that's going to work out very well for them. I'd be very curious to see if and how it does, but frankly, we're kind of happy about that because we think that they're going to have their hands full unwinding the mess that was going on with Zoe's and it will give us an even better opportunity to continue to seize market share in the Mediterranean space. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do have kind of an an ace in, in the hole, I think, with Ron Shaikh, you know, uh, on their board. You've got, you know, pretty much the guy, one of the forefathers of fast casual, uh, definitely one of the most innovative minds I've seen uh, in my three decades in running this space. Um, and seeing what happens between Zoe's and Kava, being able to mesh those two brands. It's different than if you look over at what happened at Modern, uh, Modern Mar- or excuse me, Mod Market, versus uh, their merger with Lemonade, um, those two companies, I felt like were kind of in unison, lockstep with what they were offering. There could be some synergies there, but Zoe's and Kava, I was just really surprised at that. Unless there is just a footprint approach here and maybe a rebrand at some point, I'm not sure if that is a play that uh, Kava has got up their sleeve. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really interesting. And and the brands are in my mind are are distinct enough that it'll be I think it'll be challenging if they attempt to do a rebrand or a slow merging yeah. of the brands or a phase in of the brand, et cetera. But yeah. uh, we're we're watching it very closely. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you could look at the coffee space, you've got Seattle's Best that went through this, uh, Starbucks, of course, and Pete's. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios that that kind of have foresaw what what can happen in these spaces unless you've got a really good strategic market plan uh, for making it happen. All right, number six is Torchy's Taco. So Austin-based concept, uh, just got a new CEO uh, down there uh, in GJ Hart. What do you think about this? I love Torchy's. I think it's great. Uh, I try to eat there whenever I go down to Austin. Um, that, that really fits in with one of my core perspectives around fast casual industry, which is simple, delicious, easy to eat, easy to grab, something you can eat on the go. Um, And so to me, Torchies is a great concept. I think they're doing a great job. And uh, and I'm very curious uh, to see what they do under under their new management, too. Yeah. Do you think that space is overcrowded being tacos in general? I think it is very crowded, but to me, Torchies is one of the standout brands. There's a lot of uh-huh. Me Too players. They have, in my opinion, especially coming out of a market like Austin, which is so dynamic and right. unique, I think they have something that a lot of the other players don't. And that, in my opinion, makes them more of a differentiated concept. Could separate them from the pack for sure. 
All right. Uh, number eight is Modern Market, formerly known as Mod Market, uh, a name change with uh, some pressure from Mod Pizza a couple years ago, and of course now Modern Market, uh, Denver, I guess Boulder, Colorado-based. I got to visit that, uh, that concept where there was two units. Uh, Anthony and I sat down, I don't know, it was maybe seven, eight years ago. I learned a lot about what they were trying to do. What amazed me with that concept was their technology. What are your thoughts on Modern Market? I think it's a great concept. I think it's it's right down the center of what we talked about earlier, this idea of something that you can eat at repeatedly, something that's really healthy, but something that doesn't go too far away from right. what core consumer preferences are. I think they've done a really good job with the branding, with the food, and uh, it's it's a brand that I think is is exactly where we would want to be positioned if if we had a concept that was similar. And and we have a number of concepts that we do have very similar positioning with. Yeah. I think they're they're rocking it. It'll be interesting to see this merger, you know, how Lemonade and Modern Market kind of play well together in the sandbox. Yeah. Um, I like it, but at the same time, listen, you got to have a little rub to grow. I think that's just natural in any great concept is you need that friction to really kind of build on innovation and get to that next level. And, and maybe if you look at Anthony and, and the guys over at uh, Lemonade, I think that it, they're good personalities, uh, definitely good people. Um, and that usually is where it's going to start and being able to get to the next level. But they will have a management challenge, I think, in the next few years to, to jump the shark. All right, so let's move in to uh, concepts and segments that you think, without giving away any of, uh, <laughs> of the fresh hospitality uh, secret juice, um, let's talk about segments that you think are going to be powerful in the next five years. So this is kind of a 2020 forecast show uh, to talk about the next five years, segments that are going to be hot. What's hot? What's not? From my perspective, there's two main segments that I personally think are going to be are th that are going to grow and that that really interest me. One is really obvious, which is which is healthy food. That that's going to continue to be a major driver. And finding the right balance. I I, yep. I really believe that things that skew too far into vegan, gluten free, etc., are going to alienate a large enough piece of the consumer base that people aren't going to want to really frequent those enough to make them big, scalable concepts. I think that they're going to sure. be integrated. The right healthy brands are going to integrate all those things into what they're doing, but appeal to a broader demographic. And so anybody who can make healthy food that's delicious, that's nutritious, that's yep. easy and convenient and in a great environment with a great brand experience is, is that to me is probably the biggest uh, trend in the, in the overall fast casual industry over the next five years. Another yep. one that I personally am interested in, and this is more of a, this is more of an out of left field prediction, but I really think that uh, a a sub genre of fast casual or or a, or a facet of fast casual that interests me in particular, and we've been looking at some concepts around this it, at the fresh hospitality level, are brands that are really focused around street food, and and I touched on this a little bit when I talked about torchies, but this idea of brands that have a dead simple menu. I'm talking. Right. five, 10 things on the menu, really flavorful, bold, a lot of times international food, international flavors. Soul and, taco. Yeah, exactly. You things know like those that. guys. Yeah. Yeah. The concepts that, and tacos lend themselves to it, but it doesn't have to be tacos, but concepts that are really bold, street food, big flavors. And it's something easy. It's something convenient, something you can grab on the go. And it's dead simple because if you can keep the menu simple from right. an operational standpoint, it's so much better. And the, the brands that really... The, the concepts that really have interested us recently are concepts that fit into that mold of 
of being maybe it's almost QSR, but it's QSR with really, really mm-hmm. good food. Yeah, high uh, quality. As opposed to, which is essentially in some ways fast casual, but um, I say QSR only in the sense of really forcing the menu down, really making it super simple, really accessible, easy to grab and go. Delivery is obviously a massive trend that yeah. is going to be, that already is reshaping and, and transforming industries and, and, and things that are going to play well with delivery, yeah. which, which that street food simple concept is going to play really well with that. Those are things that I think are going to be driving the industry in the next five years. Sure. I mean, we could probably do a whole show on the neck on my next question is that talking talking about on demand, but more more importantly, how ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens will play into fast casual in the next five years. You think this is a super win, it's gonna happen, and we're gonna see tons of these out there? There's no question that that I mean, we we spend all a ton of time talking about ghost kitchens, talking about delivery, talking about everything that's going on with off-premise dining. And it's it's a major from a cons- consumers are driving it largely right consumers want food delivered to their houses they want the convenience of that the question that we've been trying to figure out internally and the, and the market is really trying to answer is what's the economic model that's going to make yeah. that feasible for the restaurant feasible for the delivery provider whether that's a third party or the restaurant themselves and feasible for the consumer from a price standpoint there's been a lot of shakeup. There's been a lot of, of, of different business models and things going on. I think that there's, it, it's almost inevitable that there will be some, that delivery will reshape the industry. That, that's, yeah. that's such an ingrained consumer preference that it's not going to go away. The sure. real question is who are going to be the providers and how yeah. is the economic model going to shake out? We've been looking really heavily at ghost kitchens, whether they're viable, what the economics look like, how do you handle the delivery piece? all of that. And, and we don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but, but it's a major trend. It's something that we're paying a lot of attention to. Yeah. I'm a little concerned with it in the sense that um, I think that it's a great potential for fast casual growth and, and obviously some very unique uh, consumer advantages. My question is, of course, going to be back on the third party uh, you know, companies because Uber is struggling, Grubhub is struggling unless they get to a point where those companies can actually make a profit and become viable and which means they're going to be dropping markets they have to there's no there's no other way or they got to get into the food space which is another theory um either way it it starts to create some challenges to where these uh, these virtual or these ghost kitchens are probably going to end up in in major metropolitan areas and probably not affect kind of the inner infrastructure of what fast casual has been trying to build on the American soil, you know, of reaching middle America with, with what is going on out there. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they break out like that over the few years. Well, the other piece too, that's, that's so interesting is, is obviously these delivery platforms are, are struggling and, and looking at potentially changing or closing the, uh-huh. the restaurants in many ways also haven't, they, they benefited in the sense that they're getting increased sales, but the, even at the current economic levels, the, the third-party platforms take such a huge piece of the pie Big that chunk. there's yeah. a real question if, if that's even economically viable from the restaurant side. And so yep. that, that's why I say it works for the consumers in the sense of everybody wants it and, and, and yeah. that's here to stay. The real question is how do we find a model going forward that, is, that can actually, the restaurants can afford to do it and, and make money on it and the, the delivery platform and again maybe that's moving to more in-house delivery solutions for brands which we've been looking really heavily at but figuring out how does the restaurant make money how does it get delivered in a way that's profitable and how does a consumer get their 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 
their wants and needs satisfied by because that it's something that everybody wants. I know as a millennial, I'm a huge consumer of, of uh, on-demand food and delivery food, and and everyone I know is, and it's something that the consumer demand isn't going to go away. So we're just going to have to see how the economics shake out. Yeah. Well, I always look at back uh, into like 1995, then 2005, there was big opportunities based on some very big challenges. And I think that's where we are with food delivery right now. Huge opportunity, lots of big challenges. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Last question. And that is this whole idea of food aceuticals. So things like CBD, infused foods for energy, all these different things that we're starting to see come on the market, especially through ag tech and some of the technology applications. I saw a company that just got another 15 million from SoftBank to uh, essentially start developing super foods for uh, everything from shakes to you know putting these into salads and things. What are your thoughts on, on concepts around that? I think very similar to what I said about uh, plant-based concepts. To me, something that's solely focused on, Very for example, narrow. a restaurant that sells just CBD-infused foods yeah. is almost completely unviable. Now, you might find one or two people that, that end up making it work, and there might be enough demand in major metros and things like that to to have a few concepts and cafes pop up that can support that. But I view it much, much more as either a CPG play or something that will be on menus at certain brands or in a grab-and-go at certain brands. Right. But it's it's so niche that at, at this stage, there's almost no way that that could be a, a viable standalone restaurant concept. Yeah, for sure. Matt, it has been good talking to you. As always, I love to get into your mind about what's going on at Fresh, and it always surprised me. One last thing, Fresh Technology. Kind of explain that one more time. I, I want to really understand what you guys are doing there. Absolutely. So Fresh Technology is is one of the cornerstones of the infrastructure of our platform that I talked about a minute ago. And it's it's the biggest piece of our platform that really helps our brand succeed. We started out building this massive, fully integrated software solution for our own brands and our own, our own portfolio concepts. And okay. we started to realize that there's a huge amount of value in what we built for ourselves. And realize that we need to be taking this out and bringing it to the market and, and sharing yeah. it with other restaurant concepts. And so over the last couple of years, we've really started to commercialize this, to take pieces of it and parts of it and spin them out um, and expand them and sell them to the broader restaurant industry. And so one of the one of the biggest things that we found has really enabled us to be successful is the fact that our whole tech stack is completely integrated, whereas when we've invested in larger scale brands and even looked at done due diligence on deals for larger companies, a lot of times we run into what we call the spaghetti problem, which is basically somebody who has a bunch of best in class brand, best in class solution providers for labor, for food, for kitchen display, all of these different right. components. They end up having 20 different integrations and all this stuff and nothing quite fits together right. And the it basically looks like a giant lump of spaghetti and so we really like to keep it extremely simple, keep everything very tightly knit together. And that has been a major driver of our success across the Fresh portfolio. And we've, over the last few years, really started focusing on specifically the technology platform, how we can leverage and share that with broader people in the restaurant industry and help other brands and concepts 
use a world-class technology platform that can help them manage costs and labor and everything much more effectively. I like that. Well, congrats to what you guys are doing there. I think tech is one of the cornerstones of where we're going to be going in the next 10 years. It's going to have to be. It's the differentiator, I think, for brands in the future. So congrats on everything you're doing there. And thanks again for stopping in on today's show. Well, Paul, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's great to connect again. And uh, and I'm excited to see what happens in the future of the fast casual industry. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So for all of you listening in, or maybe you're viewing over on YouTube, But if you are listening in on the podcast over on iTunes or Spotify, make sure and leave a comment, give us a rating, tell us what you love or maybe what you don't love about the podcast. This is how we learn and it's also how we get great feedback from our audience. We've got some big changes coming up here on Fast Casual Nation, the podcast, uh, that I won't share just yet, but it is going to be some interesting stuff that are going to kind of help the show move forward. And for those of you who have an idea or maybe you have a Fast Casual concept that we don't know about yet. Maybe it's time that they come on Fast Casual Nation. Send me a note to producer at foodabletv.com or you can hit me up on Twitter at Paul Barron. Thanks again for listening in to Fast Casual Nation. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.